Well, I mean, I've done what I always do, which is to write the songs on my acoustic guitar in a very simple fashion, and uh, then bring them to people and work with them. Uh, we have not performed as Swans since uh, geez, 2000. Uh, what is it? 19, 18, or something? So we'll see what happens. I mean, uh, this is a different Swans. I mean, pretty much uh, there's a lot of people that carried over from the uh, the chunk of time, which is about eight years when we made four albums together. Um, but uh, there's a, a new person involved, Dana Schechter, who uh, also played in Angels of Light. Uh, but we just um, recorded this new album. We rehearsed for a month uh, in Berlin and then started recording. So the songs already uh, transmuted somewhat or a great deal, actually, from what I had on acoustic guitar. And I suspect that uh, when we rehearse now, I'm leaving Friday, uh, we'll rehearse for a month. I suspect that they'll extend and, and find new avenues, uh, even more so uh, when we start rehearsing and then when we play live, certainly. I don't want the songs to stay static. It's To me, there's no reason to do that. And I don't ever want to just replicate what's on a record. It doesn't make any sense to me. It's all different. Uh, just evidence and points in time. The song exists on an acoustic guitar. That's one point in time. Then it exists how it's recorded in the studio. Then it exists how it's mixed. And then it exists in different ways uh, when it starts getting performed live. Um uh, the effect on, of COVID was just, you know, like everyone else, it was just stasis, and which is pretty unfamiliar to me because I've been, um, I realized uh, with a shock that I had been working on this uh, schedule, this self-imposed regimen since uh, around 1983, <laughs> where you record an album and then you rehearse it and then you play it, play it live. And then you work out songs, you record another album and it just goes on like that. And there's always this kind of pressure to keep moving. And uh, which is what I've always done and which I've grown accustomed to, but uh, just suddenly find my, finding myself with my uh, feet in buckets of cement was um, pretty strange, but it was also possibly fertile. It helped me, uh, kind of examine myself more closely as a writer and um, perhaps I came out better on the other side, but I'm looking forward to touring now. What did you learn about yourself as a writer? Oh, uh, just that I have to rethink everything constantly and uh, I have to dig deeper. You just have to always dig deeper. That's been a, a constant though, right? Throughout your career. That's not, that's not new I, I for COVID. So. I mean, my first instinct when you asked that question was, what did I learn about myself as a writer? And I was going to say, did I completely suck? <laughs> but <laughs> but I, I don't think that's true, although it feels like it often. But uh, I just I just always try to just find something that's true in the words, you know, and for better or worse, that's what I do. One thing that I really discovered about myself during the pandemic was how much of what I do and what I'm able to do is like, is, is a pure product of momentum, you know, for, for me, for somebody who like used to go into the office every day, it's getting up at six in the morning and then getting on a train. That's only something that I can keep doing because I've been doing it for so long. And it's really 
you know, it, it does, it becomes incredibly hard to motivate if all of a sudden you've been static for a while. Yeah. And I, I was, you know, I, I guess I, I suffered from a good amount of hubris in that I, I thought I could just uh, exist on my own. I didn't need anybody else for anything. You know, I always thought, well, I can always just sit there and write, you know, but it didn't, it didn't work that way for me. I realized that, uh, yes, I can sit there and write, but I need interaction with musicians and even an audience, you know, and uh, it's just, it's just integral to who I am now. So that was uh, kind of maddening, but, you know, to complain about it is really crazy because so many other people suffered such great amounts, you know, if you uh, realize that I think in the first year, 20,000 people in New York died from COVID or something just in New York city. So, I mean, it's, and my ex-wife is a, a emergency room nurse and she had some stories that you can imagine. So I live in Queens myself. So I, it was really, you know, March, March and April, 2020, it was just a complete nightmare. I, I there were yeah. images of, you know, Walmart trucks being loaded up with bodies. Yeah, and we had uh, also, I, I don't, I don't like, I don't like to get to personal interviews, but we had a, uh, my, my wife now we we had a baby in april of that year so it was uh quite an ex- <laughs> extraordinary experience one thing i've ended up talking to a lot of musicians about I, I don't have children myself but i i can really appreciate this is that when you're somebody who's been doing this for certainly as long as you have and when you're on you know it's your job to go on tour and and to you know to leave the family for a bit it really you really end up valuing those moments when you can be home so maybe there is sort of there's an upshot to this at the end of the day that you were able to be there for your young child yeah i've never i was never with my two other children were much much older i was never able to spend so much time with them at that stage so that was interesting it had it still is interesting in fact immediately before clicking on your link here i was just wiping shit out of my son's butt (laughs) I did watch my hands. At the top of the conversation, I was talking about some of the differences between interviewing somebody person and on the computer. But there are these things that you counter from time to time, and you know maybe it's like putting your hands in the earth, or maybe it's wiping shit out of somebody else's ass that really like that recenter you as far as you know remembering your place in the in the human experience. Yeah, and also, I mean, I'm I'm not young, so as your body begins to uh, show signs of aging you're reminded of your mortality constantly, which is a healthy thing because, I mean, I wish that I had not been so uh, arrogant in my youth and been had death right in front of my face constantly because it not only makes life more urgent, but it immediately engenders uh, humility, which is uh, a very valuable thing to possess. What do you mean when you say you had death in front of you constantly? I wish that I had. It, it comes in an instant and it's coming. It's going to happen. And I think that that makes life much more poignant and more important and it's necessary. So I could be wrong. And I'm certainly reading between the lines as far as, you know, the, the pieces of you that you've chosen to put out in the world, both through the, the work that you make, but also interviews. It doesn't strike me that thinking about mortality is that new of a phenomenon for you. No, perhaps not. I mean, certainly it's played a role in your work 
I mean, effectively since the beginning, well, right? I guess. I mean, I don't, I, don't, I don't even remember the beginning, to be honest. I was reading something that you did years ago, and you cited the inevitability of, you know, you were considerably younger at the time, but you cited the inevitability of death as being a pretty big motivating factor for your art even back then. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, it is. I mean, I always just want, I want to get one more piece of work out, whether it's uh, some fiction or some music that is just, uh, I'd like to use, I'd use the word, I don't know why I use the word undeniable, you know, that it's just the, the best possible thing I could ever do. And I always strive for that. And um, I'm never happy. Uh, even the current record, I just can't listen to it. Everything's flawed. I don't know, you know, I'm, I'm unable to be objective. It's it's not good enough. I have to try something new each time. And that in and of itself is a motivator, right? I mean, there is something. I mean, it sucks, right? I, I, I feel the same way. I, I can't go back and read anything I've written or interviews that I've done. Um, but but there is something motivating and knowing that, that you haven't quite reached that point that you're trying to get to. Yeah, I'm not sure I will. But I keep trying. Do you feel like you've been getting closer as you progressed? I feel that way when I'm in the process, when I'm um, working with, uh, when I'm actually, when I first write a song, that's, that's very uh, exciting and interesting. And I feel like, wow, that's really has a lot of potential. And then when I work with people, sometimes it's ecstatic, you know, when we're just first playing the thing for the first time in a way that feels right. It feels absolutely amazing. And then, then it's recorded, and there, at certain points during the mixing, it's just like, I can't believe how good this is. And then after working on the mix for sometimes days on end and finishing it, maybe it sounds great. And then inevitably, a month later, it just sounds dead. And uh, that's just sort of what happens. For me, the self-doubt really increases when I'm in silence. When I don't have things in in my life to distract me, that's when I can really kind of wallow in those really destructive and counterproductive places. But I mean, it sounded like you, when time came to sit down and start writing that you were still able to do that in earnest. Yeah. Yeah, it happened. And I'm grateful for it. I was randomly driving and uh, I was, I was driving and randomly on the radio. No, wait, I, no, I put on a Dylan CD. It was a, a couple, it was a couple albums ago. It was a particularly, uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, a, a song with a lot of words, just tons of just verbiage. And, um, I thought, wow, that's just amazing. It's so incredible. What a writer. And it really inspired me. And I and I came home and I, I wrote the song "The Beggar," um, not inspired by Dylan's writing. I don't want to write like Dylan, for God's sake. But it was just something about being connected to that whatever that that source is, where words come from. I, having heard him do it, I thought I can do it, and and I wrote those words. Yeah, so much of you know early in people's careers when they're making art of any kind, so much of it is really. A process of of imitation and and through that like if if you're good enough and if you're lucky finding finding your own voice over time are 
are there still people though that you really strive to whether it's you know specifically write like them or at least capture some of what they've been no i i I don't try to write like anybody and i I never have uh and i don't try to write like dylan all i'm saying is that it was just the fact of those words flowing in such a evocative way was inspirational to not to try to write in any sense like him that would be um, inauthentic of me would be a disservice to myself as well. So, but I'm just saying that having heard him sing in the way he does, or rather narrate these days, you know, um, it was just inspirational. That's all to hear someone doing it. And that inspired me to write, I guess. Uh, yeah, that was during the pandemic too. So I don't even remember what Dylan song or album it was. It was just a moment, you know, one of the things I really appreciate about the way you do, to a certain extent, put yourself out in the world through on places like social media, it's clear that you still really have this very visceral interaction with music and that you're really excited to discover things and continue to share them with other people. Because I feel like that that's something that a lot of people, even musicians, really kind of gravitate away from over time. I'm in a period right now where I'm not really listening to music and it's been a while since I've been listening seriously to any music. Um, I did, I did hear um, <clears throat> Diamanda Galas's uh, new record, the name of which of course escapes me right now. Um, but I, my um, manager works with her too. So I got a the CD of it and um, I put it on in the car driving back from New York city to where I live. I was just blown away by it. I just thought, man, she is just the pinnacle of artistic achievement. She's just amazing. So that's like, that's the most uh, impressive piece of music I've heard in a very long time, that record. And um, the new next record I just heard as well. It's been pretty inspirational. I don't seek out new music generally. You interact with people through a place like Facebook or, or Instagram is exposing these these things that you hear to other people. Oh, right. Well, my goal with the social media uh, abomination is basically just to post about other things, anything but myself. <laughs> when when there's a, when there's a new record, of course, you know I want to mention it, but. I, I mean, I just think the the uh, the solipsism of the whole thing is just revolting. Um, but I, you know, I have to do it because I we need to reach our audience, and you know, we're not garnering huge headlines in the New York Times, so I have to reach people. So that's what I use Instagram and uh, Facebook for, etc. But yeah, so I just, I always look for pieces of art or <coughs> books I've read or uh, other musical artists that I feel are um, worth noting and I post about them. That's what I do. I just heard this. Um, what did you think of this? Did you hear this new Lana Del Rey record? I haven't gotten around to it. That's the, uh, what is it? There's a street under Ocean Avenue. Yeah, I just, I bought it. I mean, I, I downloaded it. You know, I bought it, I paid for it, and downloaded it. And I, I was kind of impressed. Um, 
you know, I would I could make a lot of criticisms about it, but I was kind of impressed. I thought it was pretty ambitious. What hooked you? And like in, in that specific context, what does it mean to be ambitious? The atmosphere, this you know, the arrangements in her voice, the criticism. I I mean, it's her business, but I I was it, it's disappointing not to be able to understand the words all the time. And I even tried an experiment. I I put on her record and, and then I played Nico and then I played Lucinda Williams and just listening to different people, different female singers and how their voice is mixed. Yeah. Her voice is just too quiet. I I don't understand the reason for that, but otherwise I I quite liked it. When you've been away, I mean, this was a, you know, certainly for you, a fairly long stretch to, to go not just between records, but performing with this group of musicians. When, when you have written those songs and the time comes to really start working through them, does it all just come rushing back to you all at once? How do you mean? You mean the, the, the process or the, the kind of uh, animating force that drives things? I would say animating force, but, but a little bit of everything, you know, is, is it really, is it that thing of, of riding a bike where, everyone's there in a room and you just kind of, you, you pick up where you left off. Yes, indeed. Um, but when we recorded, as I say, when we recorded this album, we rehearsed together for a month before we went in the studio, we rehearsed the songs or learned how to perform the songs. So yeah, that was exciting and interesting. And I, I'm a bit, terrified of going on stage it's, it's going to be different it won't be as loud as we uh have been in the past was, for various reasons and um the instrumentation is uh quite different so i'm i have a lot of ideas in my head how it's going to be but you know of course i'll just have to see once i sit down in the room with six people I'm pretty confident it'll be good. I, I mean, I've worked with each of these people uh, either as a group or individually for years. So when the volume lowers and, you know, when there's less sound and noise in the backgrounds, it seems to me that the lyrics end up doing a lot more of the heavy lifting and, and take center stage in a way that, you know, perhaps they weren't when you were younger and louder. It depends on the record, but uh, the, the records that I did with Swans as we, after we reformed uh, and then toured, those were centered around the kind of uh, oral, A-U-R-A-L, experience of the music. Um, just the music, you know, and these long past instrumental passages. And words are important, of course, but they were kind of the uh, signposts along the way. Uh, whereas now I'm not really interested in doing what we did anymore in this 35 minute songs. It's about the words and, and of course the atmosphere and the music around the words, but the words are, are central. I'm really curious about this concept of, I guess, effectively treating each album as though it's your last, obviously there's a, a very kind of pragmatic or practical aspect of that in that anything we put out into the world might be our last. And that becomes more and more so the case as we get older, but how, 
how does that end up being a sort of a motivating factor and, and what impact does that have on the music itself? Well, I mean, it doesn't make the music darker or anything. In fact, maybe it makes it makes me want it to scream with joy, but um, it makes it more urgent to me. Um, I keep thinking that, you know, I'm done. I, I'm just, I don't, I just don't have it anymore. And then I sit down, start fiddling around on my guitar and before you know it, I've written a song. And uh, so I'm just going to keep doing it until I'm unable to. Is that a relatively new thing or does that basically, has it basically happened after the end of each album? Yeah, I guess it's, it's happened periodically. But uh, I mean, there were times when it was just, I was just pumping it out, you know, and then, and then I took a break for a while and found a, a new kind of place to start writing from and things opened up again. But uh, it's kind of a terrifying thing as someone who has to make things to feel like they exist, you know, to, uh, to maybe face not being able to make things anymore. So what is that relationship between making things and existence to you? Is it putting so- something out into the world and having people react to it or? It's everything. It's, it's making things. It's making useless things. <laughs> Just, I think the definition, according to Oscar Wilde, the definition of art. But um, yeah, I mean, I want to make, I just, you know, I'm an artist, you know, it's not a grandiose thing. It's just what I am. It's what I do. And it's been since I was, God, you know, pretty young, first visual art and then music. Um, it's just all, it's all I know. I have to make stuff. It's just what it is. Let me reframe that question. Where in the process do you find the, the, the meaning? Is it, it, it's in the creation itself? Yeah, I guess so. But um, that, ha- that doesn't just end. Uh, as I say, particularly in the last version of Swans, the one that lasted from 2010 to 2018, I guess it was. It was constantly revivifying itself. I mean, the, the, um, the music was constantly shifting, changing and developing uh, live on stage from night to night or certainly month to month. So that that was incredibly invigorating. It was always it was like just being lit all the time. But then, you know, after that ended and then the pandemic hit, then it's a whole different thing. Uh, so it's exciting. I guess this, to use a pretty banal word, it's exciting to write a song and, and look at it on the page and sing it and feel like, wow, that's really good. That's, that's really exciting to do. And not good in the sense that it should get some kind of a kudos, but good in the sense that it actually uh, has a resonance. Something that t- probably took me too long to figure out is is the the role that metaphor plays in you know songwriting and literature, or that symbolism plays in art is finding some sort of, is like getting to to that that approximation of things that for whatever reason we just we just don't have the words for. Yes, I agree. <laughs> that's like, that's like St. John Lacrosse trying to describe his relationship to God. Uh, that's been a bit of a theme for, I mean, that's been a big theme for a lot of your work is your relationship with God. And it, it certainly, certainly plays a role in this record. Are, are you, how is that? 
has that changed in a major way over the years? I'm not sure that it's, I'm just, I'm just as stunned by existence, really stupefied by just the fact of existence as I ever was. And sometimes I'll be doing some kind of mundane task and I have this kind of out of body experience where I'm just convinced that at any minute the the fabric of the air is going to rip apart and reveal what's really there. Of course it never does, but there's this aching to find what's really there, what's really behind things. And I suppose that's a search for God, but uh, I don't look at God as an anthropomorphic figure. So uh, it's a bit different than many people might view the search for some kind of uh, transcendent experience. But uh, perhaps I'm completely wrong. Perhaps the Bible is literally true. I have no idea. But uh, you had you had asked about meditation, you know, and that's um that's an important tool. But you know, uh, certainly in Buddhism, or at least Zen Buddhism, for instance, there's never any mention of the word God. Uh, it's it's more, it's more about being and consciousness so that's uh something that i might uh gravitate towards more than a a traditional western religious view it does strike me though that you do use the word god which does seem to a certain extent to be a deliberate choice when describing something big and abstract and spiritual yeah i guess it's a useful a useful word. I mean, it's, it's, it's an impossible word, but it's, uh, it, it can maybe point towards a feeling or a sensation or, you know, an idea. It seems like you may not be any closer to really kind of, I guess, figuring that out than you were when you started. No. <laughs> How could I be? It would be preposterous to claim any answers to the question. I mean, of course, I've certainly over time, we, there are things we figure out or, or at least think we figure out. We do tend to work in cycles and oftentimes, you know, go back to where we started. But the fact that you're not any closer than you were at the beginning, does it, in a certain sense, does it make that quest futile? No, I think it's the most important question there is. But uh, the times when I've had a sense of, uh, uh, these words are so potentially corny, but um, the times when I've had a sense of ascendance or transcendence, they're just kind of random and they happen. And it's, you know, certainly they're, they're more likely to happen if you're meditating on the, if you're meditating uh, doggedly, but they also just happen. And uh, I love them. And they, you know, they've happened a great deal in, in performing music as well, where it's, it's just, you're not playing and you're being played. You know, the music is just this uh, levitation device. And uh, that's kind of what I live for is those moments. 
And I've had that, of course, with uh, sexual experiences with someone that's you know, deeply loved that uh, is also potentially quite transcendent. Um, so I don't know what I'm talking about now. Sorry. I think you do. I, um, and, and, and I understand that. And, you know, I, I, I'm not somebody who performs music myself, but I'm somebody who sees a lot of it and I can really appreciate the, again, this is going to sound kind of corny too, but the, the, the exchange of energy that goes on between an artist and an audience when they're playing in a room. Yeah. I mean, we're best. Uh, I don't actually don't know how this new version is, but I presume it's going to be somewhat uh, comparable to the last version of Swans. Um, in that, uh, once you uh, reach a certain state and you just give up and the, the sound is carrying you, that's where we want to be. And I hope we can reach that. We'll see. What do you mean by give up? You just give up. You, you're playing, but you're not thinking. It's just happening. It's, it's that's much like the goal of meditation. Uh, you give up. You're not thinking. You, you're the words. Words become like they're like grains of sand. They they don't have any kind of uh, meaning whatsoever, and it's just experience in the absolutely in the in the moment. But the moment feels eternal. And uh, that's when it's the most wonderful. Is that something that can be recreated or experienced in the actual songwriting process? I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, it's just, it's a, with me, it's, it's a slow and painful process for writing a song. It's, it's some, sometimes it starts with three words and I don't have anything I want to say, but I have this, maybe I have a, rhythm thing I'm playing on guitar and I, I just have this sense that something is going to happen and I have just have to keep playing it until it opens up and suddenly, Oh, there's the song. And maybe I'll have like six lines and then that just burgeons and becomes a whole thing. It's, uh, it's, it's sort of, I mean, I'm certainly uh, vain of me to compare myself, but it's a very similar to the way that a painter, Francis Bacon, uh, worked Francis Bacon that uh, he didn't start with an idea, but once, once he found an image, the thing just accrued in front of him. Uh, he'd followed uh, the process and created these amazing images, but he didn't, he didn't like make a sketch and say, I'm going to do this drawing of a, a chair with a man writhing on it. He just started uh, painting and it formed and, um, to me, that's very inspirational, actually. As I was trying to articulate before, the the comparison to some of the music as as mantra, or again using meditation as I guess a parallel here, is effectively playing something over and over until it starts to take shape. I mean, I can I play my guitar in an unusual way, and that I I play with a 
downstrokes with my thumb and um open chords usually you know and um the guitar really resonates and uh i can hear lots of overtones and notes buried in the chords that uh maybe i'm not even playing when i play and that always inspires me working with other musicians it's like trying to find that moment when i realized how rich and fruitful potentially that chord is when i start working with the other musicians it's a way of kind of bringing that to life uh in a bigger way i finally within the last year or so finally got to a point after years of banging my head against the wall where i actually have a a daily meditation practice that that is very useful to me and the only way that i was really or i guess a big part of the reason why i was able to crack it is because i I, I force myself to that. I had, a, I, I have to set aside a specific amount of time every morning to sit down. And this is, this is what they tell you. You sit down and you, you spend that time sitting, whether or not it's working out for you. And that routine is a big part of it. When in the songwriting process, is there a sense in which you have to, is it set aside a time of day or perform in a certain area or perform in a certain way in order to really for that process to be fruitful for you? Yeah. Well, I need solitude and um, I need to be in a, in my familiar space, which happens to be the office I'm in right now and alone, of course. And uh, I need a specific segment of time to fail. You know, I need time to just like, just play something incredibly stupid for a while, just to see if it leads to something else. And you just have to keep trying. And uh, that's what I do. Does failure mean scrapping full songs or does failure just mean that early stage in the process before you really hit on something? It's the latter. It's uh, just trying, just keeping, you know, failing and keeping trying and then finding finally finding something that's worthwhile. I appreciate your being really kind of, I guess transparent about the, the the frustrations around the songwriting process because I think you know this is something that we hear a lot about in art in general and, and certainly music is this idea of of channeling the muse you know some of these like there's that classic story of um, of Keith Richards waking up in the middle of the night with you know satisfaction the the riff from satisfaction or I've heard stories around you know, astral weeks of, of him, of Van Morrison basically like sitting on a porch and like, you know, just channeling all these words. And to me, like that can be, that can actually be really counterproductive because most of the time you sit down, like it's not going to come that easy. And it can be extremely frustrating when, when it doesn't come. It never comes easy for me. (laughs) Never. It's, it's, it's it's always hard, but that's okay. I, it you know it comes. It's just very a very slow process for me. Have there been times when it just doesn't come at all? I guess so. I mean, I can't think of them right now, but I'm sure there must have been. It's been forty years, you know. But um, I can't I can't think of any specific moments right now. When you start to think about things, you know, when you start to think about, I, I you know your mortality, but even even more immediate than your mortality. And this is something I talk to artists about all the time is for a lot of them, there's a certain point when it's just physically not possible to, to tour anymore, whether it's, you know, their hearing or can obviously be really difficult 
on the body. Um, the I, I talked I talked to a lot of cartoonists, a lot of um, people who write and draw comics on the show, and and they tend to quantify the remainder of their life in the number of books they can have out there. It's a, it's a little bit you know it, it, it's obviously um, a little bit morbid, but you know assuming that you can write a book sure. every four years, that the time breaks down uh, pretty quickly. Is is that I mean, how do you how do you use something like that and and use it as motivation when it's something that that can effectively be very paralyzing? Well, I don't think like that. I mean, I just think about well, the next thing in front of me right now is I'm going to be doing this tour, which is going to be in the end, it's going to be at least probably ten months, if not a year, you know, broken up into pieces. But um, so that's what that that'll be my existence for that period of time. And perhaps I'll have some songwriting ideas along the way. Although usually they're discrete, they're not conjoined. I don't usually write on tour. Um, and then when the tour ends over, I'll sit down and, and say to myself, "Okay, now you have to write." And then I'll just figure out how to write. And I guess when I can't tour anymore, then that writing is all I'll do. But I'm, as I say, I have to be doing something. I have to be making things. You know, I did think for a while that maybe I, I should uh, find some kind of uh, work that just helps other people. You know, just work as a assistant in a hospital or something, just help people. But that's eh, not me. <laughs> You're somebody who, you know, as I said, does still actively, you know, engage with music and you can... Certainly, you can appreciate that there is an extent to which music really does help people. Yeah, that's one of the the most rewarding things, aside from being able to make a living, is talking to people who are not, you know, just like stuttering fan people, but actual yeah. intelligent people who thank me for the music having meant something to them in their life. That means a huge amount to me. So, uh, something that I find that I've had to get better at in my own life is learning how to accept compliments. I've <laughs> I've been really bad at it. You know, if somebody will compliment something that I've done in the past that I don't feel like was my best work, my, you know, unfortunate uh, instinct is to, to kind of explain to them why it's not the, my best work, but I, you do really have to sort of learn to accept that and, and accept the meaning that people find in your work, if, even if it isn't the thing that you sought out to put down in the first place. Sure. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of embarrassed sometimes when people tell me how much they love well, one particular record I can't stand. You know, I just try to uh, smile. I don't know if you were necessarily referring to the, the major label record that you did. I know that that was not a good experience, but with distance, are you able to find good in that? Are you able to find, still find, you know, good aspects of the things that you don't particularly like? The best thing that happened to me from that experience was that I became 100% completely self-reliant. I started my own label and uh, did everything myself and did not need anybody at all to do what I do. You know, I have people I work with. 
that are associated with my label, but the be- that was the best thing that happened with that major label record was that it forced me to realize I'm fucked. I have zero prospects, zero money. And how can I pull myself out of this aside from jumping off a bridge? So what I did was just figured out how to make it happen myself. It got that bad after that period. Penniless. Not the first time or the last time, but uh, that was a pretty um, sobering. Well, I wouldn't say it was sobering <laughs> considering my behavior in those days, but not literally sobering. Was, yeah. <laughs> it was daunting, certainly. <laughs> is done, stripped bare of pretense. So king his sheets while count. He's a grid on the sun. He's the hate in the love. Every hole is a leak when Michael does speak. But Michael will win. There's a flame on his tongue. His words are burnt meat to muscle and red. Now Michael will cloak every raft in his mouth. To speak is to...